right. I'm here with Andre and Marina from Renka. And today we're going to talk about their geopolymer materials developments uh, as it applies to construction and the future of automating the construction industry. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks. Yeah, hello. Thank you. So if you could give a, a brief overview of your company, uh, tell me a little bit about what you do. Well, uh, our company was formed in the beginning of 2016 after we met at the geopolymer camp in France with our uh, Italian partner, Alex. And we decided to create this company uh, to join our efforts in creating geopolymers for various applications, including 3D printing. And uh, as we realized that uh, geopolymers are perfect for 3D printing because of their properties uh, of their fast setting and good adhesion and others, we started uh, promoting them and trying geopolymers with different 3D printing companies. And since then we're working and finally have uh, opened our own 3D printing facility, 3D printing factory uh, here. Sure, cool. And I noticed your material uh, in the past I had seen online has a very fine consistency, uh, very, it seems homogenous. Um, and I haven't seen many cracks, although I haven't seen too many of the prints in person. I did visit Geopolymer International in Las Vegas. Uh, mm -hmm. So they had a couple prints at the World of Concrete event. Can you talk about the differences between geopolymer and regular concrete? Uh, yes, sure. It's a difference in chemistry. So Portland cement-based uh, products, all Portland cement-based products are hydraulic binders. So their chemistry is uh, connected with uh, calcium, uh, which uh, hydrates with uh, water. And in geopolymer, we have different type of reaction with a, which is a polycondensation reaction between silicon, aluminum, and uh, alkali metals mainly, but also there are different types of geopolymer reactions. Anyway, it's not a hydration process. And uh, that's what makes it totally different from Portland cement and gives it uh, unique properties. Properties like uh, a good adhesion, it's a chemical bonding between layers. So even if we stop one day and we decide to continue the next day with a fresh layer, with a fresh geopolymer, we don't need to prepare the surface. We don't need any glues or whatever. Uh, the adhesion will be perfect and it will be become a monolith. And uh, also it uh, has a very high strength, above 40 MPa and more. And it has a fast, fast setting. In fact, in the beginning, before we started 3D printing, we tried to fight this property in geopolymer. We tried to prolong the setting time to make it uh, more similar to ordinary concrete. But then mm -hmm. we realized that this is a benefit, not a drawback. And we started using this uh, uh, feature in 3D printing. So we don't need to accelerate geopolymers. They are very fast uh, by its nature. That kind and of leads also to my next question, the differences mm -hmm. Uh, somebody who's used to working with a concrete material, how will they have to shift their uh, their work strategy and their to-do list with geopolymers? Well, well they, uh, basically they change the binder from Portland cement to geopolymer. So they just exclude the binder part with all the additives, which expensive additives are usually that go with Portland cement mm -hmm. and they just substitute it with geopolymer. Uh, aggregates can stay the same, and they also exclude water because we don't need water in our reaction. And the main difference is uh, the geopolymer binders, geopolymer mortar or concrete cannot be made continuously. 
So it differs it from Portland cement-based mortars, which can be easily pumped and uh, with the regulation of water amount, you can adjust it. So you have to make a batch mixing of geopolymer. This is obligatory. Sure. And so the batch mixing, I took a look at the mixer they had at Geopolymer International. Is that similar to the one you use? Yeah, this mixer was made by our partner, Alex, in uh, Italy. This is a smaller version, but it's not fully automatic. Uh, for uh, 3D printing, uh, there is a complete system uh, with different mixers, which allows us to make uh, geopolymer uh, nonstop. So once uh, the first batch is made, the second is already preparing. And then you have like a smooth, so with no interruptions process of uh, uh, feeding your system, feeding your pump. How does the system become flowable? How does the material become flowable without water? Uh, there is a reagent part, the liquid reagent part, which uh, contains already water inside, but it's a chemically bound water, so no, it's not a free water. Mm -hmm. And if normal water was used without any of the reagents, how would it react? Would it just be a complete fail or would it be less strong? Yeah, it will definitely reduce the strength like in ordinary concrete. If you overdose the water, you will uh, have worse results in terms of strength and durability and stuff. And here we have like uh, with adding additional water, you will dilute the reagent. Uh, you will dilute the cations of uh, metals that you will have inside your reagent. And then you will not get as strong geopolymer network as you can get without this water. Mm -hmm. But water in geopolymer system acts like a plasticizer. So we can add additional water if we need to, but uh, really little drops. Like 3-5% like maximum uh, for the total amount. And uh, then during the geopolymerization stage, all the water evaporates out of the system and uh, there is no chemically bound water inside geopolymer concrete. That's why it's fire resistant. Uh, when ordinary Portland cement heated up to 600 degrees with uh, normal fire, uh, the water inside the system of Portland cement is chemically bound and then it starts to evaporate and it makes cracks it cracks the concrete from the inside, mm -hmm. thus the steel reinforcement could touch the fire, melt, and the uh, whole building collapse. In geopolymer, there is nothing to evaporate, so it can withstand temperatures up to 1,200 degrees Celsius. And uh, the, the, you can increase this uh, with the additional, uh, with additional uh, different type of uh, fillers, but uh, normally it's uh, much more heat resistant than Portland. Yeah, that's a fascinating difference because uh, concrete takes the water is it's curing forever. Ten years, twenty years, there's still a little trace amount of water left. Uh, so, in terms of cracking, I imagine that's part of the reason people say concrete always cracks over time. Are there very old geopolymer structures that we can look at and examine if they've cracked? Uh, well, uh, as Professor Davidovitz from France, who is the inventor of this technology, claims, uh, he says that there are many ancient monuments uh, that were made with ancient geopolymer technology. So it's not modern geopolymer, but it's a kind of old style technique. And uh, one of those is Roman, Ro Roman cement, so-called Roman cement, which was used in Italy. They used uh, uh, 
fly ashes, ashes from mm -hmm. volcanoes. Volcanic ashes. Yeah, volcanic ashes. Uh, they mixed it with lime and they uh, got this Roman cement, which, which still stands uh, for 2000 years in salty water uh, with earthquakes, with everything. In another example, uh, which he claims is the Egyptian pyramids, which were also uh, casted uh, by his, uh, he has written a book and a big um, uh, work about this. And also some monuments in South America uh, claim to be made uh, with geopolymer technology. Interesting that it would be so widespread around different places in the world uh, and so old so at the same time. Yeah, because these materials are present worldwide, so there are different types of chemicals that you can mix together to get the kind of artificial stone, because concrete, in fact, is an artificial stone, and the way we make it is only depends on how well developed we are and what materials we have. Portland cement actually makes an artificial limestone because it is made out of limestone. We first evaporate water from, uh, from Portland cement, then we add water to create an artificial stone back. And with uh, geopolymers, we make kind of the same thing, but we make different stones, not limestone, which is not very uh, strong, not very durable in, in, in nature because it has calcium. We make uh, stones more similar to granite and other volcanic, ro volcanic roads, uh, rocks, which are more durable and which are stronger. Very nice. And do you know uh, Professor Davidovitz? Sure. Sure, we but are meeting Jeff Polymer Camp, which in he makes. 2015. Yeah, he makes them every year. We met in 2015, and there we met Alex as well. And mm -hmm. since then, we visit each Jeff Polymer Camp every year. And just the day after tomorrow, we start uh, going to France to the next Jeff Polymer Camp in July next week. Very nice. And how many other people will join you at the camp? There are about 90 people uh, each camp. They try to make this event small, but very uh, high quality. So they're representatives of science, uh, they're rep representatives of industries and yeah. businesses. It's so a very how nice many companies event. are developing their own product material solutions like yours of those 90? And how many of them are, are like Geopolymer International looking to purchase your product and use it with their own equipment? Well, I would say half of the participants are scientific, so it's a kind of uh, university academic students. research. Yeah, academic research. Uh, about uh, ten to twelve percent is the representatives of industries who supply materials, like Sibelco, like the Marys and other Wilners. groups. Wilners, yeah, those who supply raw materials in Europe, yeah. mainly in Europe, uh, and others are. Some researchers and uh, those who develop geopolymers for certain uh, purposes, for certain applications, like uh, there was a company who invent, uh, who used geopolymer for refurbishing old sewage pipes. Uh, others used, uh, like in Ireland, Bana UK, they tried to use ferrocylate uh, geopolymers. So they're kind in of Australia. The private company Wagner's they made uh, the concrete, uh, uh, I would say, uh, road for the airplanes. The whole interestingly AFA enough, Brisbane was. Done. I think you're very but different from all those companies. Uh, there are not many. Uh, there are not so many companies that I know in the world who are doing geopolymers, uh, for making geopolymers for sale, like uh, really commercially. Yeah, it's uh, uncommon. I haven't seen any other company offering 3D printable geopolymers besides Renka. There are none. 
Not yet. So not yet. Not so. When did you start Renka? After the 2015 event? Yeah. It, at 2016 in January, we went to Irkutsk. Uh, to Apiscore facility uh, when Nikita asked us about uh, making a geopolymer for 3D printing. Mm. Uh, the 3D printing was uh, actually just uh, emerging technology at that time and we were laughing like, well, 3D printing, really? Concrete? Are you sure? <laughs> and then uh, we did trials. You might see it on the internet, on YouTube. There are a lot of them. And uh, they were successful trials with geopolymer. And then it started to develop, we started to develop 3D printing mortar for geopolymers. Very nice. So Renka started from the beginning with the intention of 3D printing, developing 3D printable material. Not exactly. It was happened thanks to Apiscore, I would say, uh, because we were studying a lot of applications for geopolymer. Like uh, in, uh, we were aimed to more um, construction. construction mark, yeah, and try to substitute the Portland uh, ready mix uh, concrete. Yeah, at first that's what I had assumed because most material companies, <laughs> you go on their website and they're selling all kinds of concrete, uh, and then you find some bottom page where it says innovation. Look, we're doing some three D printing too. But if you go on your website, it's the top first thing is three D printed geopolymer. Uh, yeah, so, where, where, where it showed the, its properties at best in 3D printing. And then you just uh, find the niche markets for geopolymer. So you don't need to build uh, 25 stories building with geopolymer concrete because it will cost you much more than using ordinary portals. Now. Now, yeah, but when uh, you target the markets where uh, the properties uh, are important and uh, to achieve the same properties based on Portland cement, uh, products, uh, you will have to pay twice or three times more. Sure. And when you got started, the, the goal of the company was to work with geopolymers and 3D printing, you're saying, was kind of a natural progression of the company as you were exploring the use cases. Yeah, right. exactly. And the same, it's still the same. The geopolymers are the main target of our company and 3D printing is just uh, one of the applications that shows uh, the properties, shows the possibilities, what you can do with geopolymers. Cool, very nice. And when it comes to construction projects with geopolymers, large scale, like I'm sure, are you planning on building any houses with your material? We are printing a house right now. Wow. With our polymer, yeah, the first private house. And we have already several uh, pre-orders, I would say, of uh, people who want to build their houses, private houses, also with geopolymers, with 3D printing. But we, before, we also have done some uh, use cases of geopolymers uh, aside from 3D printing. We made the pedestrian bridge in Moscow region. Uh, we have also made several trials in uh, our native city of uh, Chelyabinsk in the Euros, where we have uh, used geopolymers in ordinary construction in uh, multi-story buildings for ceilings, for parking spots, for foundations. Mm -hmm. So with the house underway right now, are you using the signature red color that you use so often? First we tried red, then we decided to go to the natural color, which is a dark gray, closer to black one. Mm -hmm. People like the red, I guess it looks like Mars or what's the <laughs> choice there? Okay, we will make some panels with red. 
<laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, In fact, you can you can add any color to your your polymer and uh, make it yellow, orange, whatever you want. The house, how many square meters will it be? It will be 150 in two size. stories. Two stories. Yeah, yeah. Well, one and a half stories, I would say. It's not so that. is it like 3D printed concrete where you have an inner layer, an outer layer, and then some kind of columns that you pour in later with rebar? Uh, we have, a, let's say, a panel which has a, a layer, then uh, this uh, intermediate layer of uh, kind of wave which holds uh, helps hold the structure, another layer, and then we have another chamber a little bit uh, smaller with the same arrangement, uh, which is, will be used for, uh, separately for thermal insulation. So there will be thermal insulation in the outer chamber, and then there will be also some of the thermal insulation in the inner chamber, but part of it will be used for uh, structural concrete and reinforcement too, and also for uh, communications like uh, pipelines, electrical wires, and stuff. So no rebar or where's the rebar? Actually, uh, our engineers have calculated all the loads and taken into account the strength of the concrete and the shape of the wall and that it's a small house, it's not a multi-story building. Uh, they assure us that we don't need reinforcement inside. On the 150 square meter two-story building, you don't need reinforcement? Nope. No. Wow, that's so great. It will, act, it will act like when you make bricks, you don't need reinforcement for the bricks, yeah. for example. Yeah. So... Would the floor be uh, floating, like connected to the slab or the ground level, uh, or is the floor connected to the wall structure? And is the wall structure continuous? Well, we have, uh, because of the dimension that our printer can print, we have to cut the whole uh, wall into pieces. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first piece is connected to the slab, and the second one is, uh, will be on the top of the slab. And uh, you don't need any additional connections, any reinforcement, any connection to the basement and so on. So you'll have the first level and then a, a floor ceiling right. slab and then the next yeah. print, the smaller, printer will rest smaller. on top of that? Uh, actually, yeah. our model is uh, printing panels, like we have panels in the warehouse. So yeah, offsite. We're not going to site. Wait, you said on-site or off-site? Off-site, off-site, in a factory. In a factory, in, a, yeah. in our warehouse, because we tried to be printing uh, on-site in Siberia in 2018 with Gazprom Neft. And when you have like three degrees Celsius in the morning, then you have rain, then sun, then wind, then plus 17 in, in, during the day. It's much complicated to control the mix, uh, everything to control. Yeah, even if it works, it's not pretty. Yeah, yeah, it, it's absolutely not pretty because one, once it gets hotter, your mix starts to get too sticky, and one is more cold, and then it goes too fluid, and you have not a nice surface. Sticky isn't a word I've heard applied to three D printed concrete. Is that unique to the geopolymer mix, kind of flowing through the hose uh, if it's very hot? Mm. Sorry, Again, so can, can you repeat the question? When you're working with 3D printed concrete, when it's flowing through the hose, sometimes you get clogs in the hose if the aggregate's large or if uh, too much accelerant, something like that. Uh, yeah. Is the, would the hose clog for similar reasons or different reasons uh, with geopolymer? No, 
you can comment. Yeah, it's uh, practically the same reasons like with Portland. If you overheat your system or your mix is too sticky and your pump gets uh, a higher pressures, higher pressure, high means high, higher temperature and temperature uh, accelerates the reaction both in Portland cement and in geopolymer. So if it's too hot, it gets uh, much, uh, it sets much faster. So you get your and I would say not, not the hose plug, but the rotostator stopped mm -hmm. because of the material inside is already set. Uh, uh, then you need to replace rotostator. So you need really to control your uh, pressure inside your rotostator all the time, and you need to control the temperature. That's what we're doing constantly. Uh, so the mix should be really uh, prepared in small batches so that it doesn't set inside your hose, inside your rotostator, so that you have... Uh, let's say constant consistency all the time very nice so you're a part of the american concrete institute as well uh what does that what's that about well it's uh there are two committees uh, connected to 3d printing and additive uh, so i was just uh, part of this and uh taking uh, knowledge from them and was it uh is it still active or not so much useful not really well i would say it's more useful when you have a project related to the standards that are in the united states so it it is really uh, uh useful when you have uh, some project uh, low which is local and uh, when you are in europe or abroad it's not that i would say uh, applicable yeah, the standards uh, aren't very sensible at the moment, and people are working on making new standards, uh, but they haven't been right. implemented yet. Hopefully they are soon, but I see lots of projects attempted and shot down because it's too restrictive for them to build, at least here in America. So The uh, standards need to be paid by someone. Uh, someone. Yeah, you have to spend a lot of money. It's a whole world of developing standards, a lot of... Uh, influencers a lot of uh, those who want you to uh issue the standards a lot of those who are against the standard and so on but uh actually in australia there is a good really good uh, situation uh concerning uh application of geopolymers because uh in europe and mostly in the united states you have a standard for concrete uh, where it is stated that you have to have portland cement least certain amount of Portland cement inside your concrete. In Australia, there is a performance-based standard that don't care what you put in, inside your concrete. Uh, when they meet the requirements, they have strength, they are free those cycles, uh, water resistant. Nobody cares what you put inside. And uh, that's why in Australia, there is a good uh, market for geopolymers. In, in uh, here in Russia, we also have a standard uh, which states that concrete has to have Portland cement inside. But we can uh, use geopolymers uh, if, uh, according to the local standards of the organization, not the national standards. Mm -hmm. If uh, the constructor, the company which is uh, making the works, will take responsibility for uh, for the material as well. In in this case, they can use at their own risk. They can use this material. Also, for private housing, you don't need any standards, so you can build your own house with whatever you want. Especially if you go east, you can do whatever you want if you could survive the winter, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's up to you. You can make yeah. it out of sticks and paper if you want. 
So you need a lot it's of insulation in those walls. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why we made the, our walls two chambers uh, to make heating and thermal insulation according to the local uh, norms, normatives, climate. to the climate. Yeah. So what's the future for Renka? Well, we tend to make this 3D factory uh, to create, uh, let's say, create, create showcase, yeah. showcase and make different projects will be, which will be really challenging, uh, like some architectural projects, uh, make different shapes, different structural elements. We are uh, now developing the uh, recipe, the mortar that will be set uh, at the nozzle. And uh, we can make a small, very small objects, uh, really 3D printing, because now what we do, we are constantly going up and we do 2D printing, uh, like uh, the companies uh, 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 that using accelerators. Uh, sure, like 1K nozzle. versus 2K. 1K, you go straight up. 2K, you can do at an angle or a convex. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, without additional sand and whatever. That's the next step that we yeah. want to make. and. Yeah, and then we want to participate in infrastructural projects and different architectural projects, will, which will be really interesting and challenging for the technology. And so for geopolymer, sorry, yeah, and for geopolymer production, uh, we are trying to expand the market and we're looking for partners around the world and trying to establish it uh, everywhere. So the geopolymer could be available in any part of the world, which is ready-made and can just purchase it online or locally and you just set up the factory yeah what is that like materials. you got a printer to be able to test the material yourself and uh showcase demonstrate prints uh robotic arm or gantry well both variants are possible now we use the robotic arm for me it's just easy uh, to use robotic arm because when we started in 2000 17 actually uh, with ADB they were the first one company who uh, replied and uh, there was no additional software which can handle uh, 3D printing and they're really cooperative guys and uh, that's why we just decided to buy our own printer ADB and actually you can print geopolymers with any type of uh, printer and uh, we have experience printing with gantry type like cobalt uh, type printer. With Spetsavia, which you maybe uh, have seen. In yeah, this AMT. silly. A AMT, yeah. AMT, exactly. yeah. <laughs> we actually are cooperating with the Polytechnical University in St. Petersburg who bought their printer, small printer uh, from AMT, and we helped them to make it work. And we supplied them with geopolymers, and now we cooperate with the professors and students. And they do actually a good job of uh, studying the properties of 3D printed wall, like thermal insulation, the recent uh, publication by this university, June. And they do a lot of, uh, actually the universities, uh, the academic uh, researchers are helping 3D printing industry a lot. For them, it's a new technology which they can study, which they can get some degrees and so on. But for us, for industry, it's uh, uh, a huge uh, advantage and you don't need to spend time for understanding what kind of, uh, what shape of the wall you have to have uh, in order to meet the requirements of thermal insulation, in order to uh, make it uh, strong, in order to not fall apart and so on. 
Yeah, I definitely respect the academic research because it's so expensive. Private companies can't always afford to experiment so much. The gap yeah. is when people pursue things that they think are scientifically cool without thinking about the business mm -hmm. case. And what I'm really interested in is construction, particularly residential construction, where the ROI, the cash flow, uh, these are like mm -hmm. the predominant factors of making something applicable in the real world rather than the academic setting. So the, uh, the academics are great, but they're not making products for the world. They're making solutions for people like you to bring to the world in a, in a marketable way. Uh, they can yeah, hopefully they're making fundamental research profitable for you. Yeah. Yeah, so they're doing their job and we try to, like, say, uh, forward them in the right direction so that they can help us not doing something useless, some mm -hmm. useless research, but something which can really be applicable in the real world. We always uh, look into geopolymer or any uh, science that we have, uh, that we got, uh, whether we can uh, scale it, whether we can... Uh, make it industrial, whether we can produce it industrially, whether we can 3D print buildings, not just the small size, but the big one. Uh, can we mix a certain amount of material with the mixer? What kind of mixer we should use? And our partner, Alex, started to develop this mixer in 2016, 16. yes. After the first trials with that score, he... we realized that when you want to build a house, you have to have a big batch mixer. And there is none on the market right now, mm -hmm. uh, which can prepare geopolymer uh, nonstop. By nonstop, you mean basically multiple batches going at once? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, without human factor, so you don't need to control uh, the recipe, whether they put a necessary amount of material and so on. Is the workflow uh, with your system, the mixer pump system, the same number of people as a 3D printed concrete system? Yeah. After the material is printed, do you spray any kind of uh, post print uh, to help it yeah. cure? Curings, yeah, we, we, we do spray curings just to be sure that nothing will happen. And uh, the, the most important, what do we do is not to move uh, the structure. When it's still soft. Yeah, when it's still soft, because uh, the geopolymer structure at the early stage is very gentle. And if you move it physically a little bit, it can make cracks. Mm -hmm. But there are no um, shrinkage. shrinkage How long do you wait? Several hours. Yeah. Just a couple of hours to, to make sure that it's already strong because first of all, it makes a crust on the surface and the internal part is still soft and that's mm -hmm. when you shouldn't move. If you move, this crust will crack and will never be repaired again. So it, it's not very nicely looking. Very interesting. And so is there a tarp over at any point? Do you want to maintain humidity or uh, no. the water's all leaving so quickly? No, we don't need to maintain humidity, uh, unlike Portland cement, in order to avoid the cold joints. Uh, here we have an adhesion in between layers, uh, thanks to the geopolymer um, interaction of uh, atoms. So you can move the object within a few hours, and then how long do you have to wait until uh, the dehydration process is complete? There is actually... 
you can uh, let's say move the object and start using it in about uh, a week because uh, this is a fast setting uh, geopolymer but it will still ga continue gaining strength strength after 20 days it will gain even more strength in 50 days and then in 90 days so it's a continuous process which will continue up to 180 days and even maybe more but there is more research that's needed so, so the difference was long term there's no water yeah. molecules in the geopolymer right no water is not in a, a part of the reaction so we don't need to keep it humid after it's cast but we need to we, we need to put curin to avoid too fast evaporation of the water which was inside from the beginning so it doesn't uh, create any disturbance on the surface that's the only point but once the water is evaporated slowly with, with the help of curin there is no water anymore in the system as opposed to concrete yeah which has a uh, uh, seven days curing at least uh, and uh, or you need to add some uh, special additives that will decrease this period of time to three days or something like that have you thought about is... sorry sure in portland uh, you have this uh, particles of cement which have uh, each particle has to react with a part of water and if there is not enough water, not all of your particles of cement will react. So you don't have uh, the designed strength that you have designed from the beginning with the composition of your mix. So you you will lose. You will have unhydrated cement inside the concrete. Yeah, and this like can that. create some problems like, uh, for example, sandy surface, dusty surface, which becomes not very nice, and then it can crack superficially. So as your company, as more people begin using geopolymers uh, and you need more and more materials, um, some things like fly ash are very useful, but a byproduct that's maybe not scalable. Are the components of geopolymer scalable? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we use fly ash here because we have it in abundance. Like uh, one power plant creates uh, from three to five million tons per year of this fly ash, which is more than enough. For yeah. Uh, for geopolymer production and there are several uh, plenty of uh, this kind of power plants here but the same situation is in india in china but not in europe in europe uh, alex, what has alex has done he switched to other source, sources of materials like uh, uh, different kinds of clay materials byproducts of clay materials uh, so there are plenty of uh, raw materials which can be used in geopolymers. You only need to know the chemistry and mineralogy and how to use this, uh, and combine these different materials. So Alex is able to replace uh, the fly ash with clay? Sure, sure. He has already done. And there are different kinds of uh, geopolymers. If you look at the book of Professor Davidovitz, there are different let's say subsidiaries of uh, geopolymers, they can be clay-based yeah, clay and rock-based, so you can use minerals and uh, phosphate-based, so there are different kind of families of geopolymers. Yeah, that's fascinating. And what's the family of geopolymers that you selected for your product? Several. Okay. Depending on the application, depending on the application, we use several types of products and uh, raw materials. So we use fly ash based, uh, clay based and rock based. We haven't used phosphate based so much yet, but this three we, we are using a lot because uh, different applications of geopolymers require different properties. For example, some of the applications cannot be done with fly ash based geopolymers. 
when you want to talk about innovation in concrete, a lot of the old guys will say stuff like there's only eight ingredients and we've tried all the combinations. Uh, there's nothing new. Is that, it sounds like Professor Davidovitz doesn't have that opinion. He's a chemist. He is not a construction guy. He came from polymer chemistry and he has a different point of view, I would say, a, a different angle. And uh, he created geopolymers trying to substitute organic polymers, which are flammable, after some uh, dreadful fires in France where mm -hmm. some students have died and because they so. were suffocated from the gases emitted uh, from the plastics. So he tried to substitute plastic and make it not flammable. And when he started his research, he realized that only minerals are absolutely non-flammable. So he decided to make a mineral polymer and he called it geopolymer. Sure. So any mineral uh, can be a geopolymer. And that, I mean, how many different minerals are there? Plenty. So it depends on uh, the raw materials uh, that you take. And then you uh, make artificial minerals, artificial stones. You can use volcanic ash, for instance, if you have in somewhere in Africa. and uh, You can get some uh, uh, salty water from nat natron lake and mix it all together and get uh, geopolymer kind of geopolymer, but uh, the idea will be the same. So depending on uh, the geopolymer is like zero kilometer material. So uh, depending on the location where you are, you can find the different types of raw materials underground, or you can find the byproducts that are generated by the industry. And uh, you can, depending again uh, on the state of these byproducts, you will need to grind it or you will need to calcine it. Or and you can take it as it is. Ready. Or you can take it as it is and just mix it in the dry mixer. Then you add reagent and then you get a geopolymer binder. And actually the concrete, the uh, construction application for geopolymer is just one of the small up ways uh, where it can be applied. So it just uh, the, uh, the bottom layer, I would say, geopolymer technology, it can be applied uh, in composites. Uh, it can be applied to encapsulate radioactive uh, waste, uh, which we actually do here. And uh, a lot of ceramics. Ceramics, yeah. When you can make uh, low temperature geopolymer bricks uh, without uh, the need of heating and uh, using just uh, the heat from the sun. You can use geopolymer to hold back uh, nuclear radiation. Is there any way with 3D printing that it benefits the, maybe you can create cavities within the wall or something to make it more helpful or I don't know. Well, actually there is a technology of mixing this liquid to the radioactive waste with a binder. Right now they're using Portland cement, but when you substitute it with geopolymer, you make it last really like 10 to 100 times longer. Interesting. And then it that traps it. Yeah. yeah. The, the cations uh, of radioactive materials are trapped inside. There is a, uh, a there was a study for the Fukushima plant in uh, Japan. Uh, they studied geopolymer to encapsulate the material, the radioactive cations inside the geopolymer matrix. Actually, the geopolymer matrix is a good uh, trap for those uh, guys. If you made it everything wrong, right way, mixing and uh, then you can get a very uh, long-lasting structure. And it also works for toxic wastes. I mean, like heavy metals and arsenic yeah. and mercury, which are present in some of the wastes, which in are now- fly ash, for example, a lot of uh, these bad guys. Uh, when you in, say the matrix, 
are you referring to like a chemical structure in the geopolymer that yeah. forms if you print properly and mix properly? Yeah. What's that exactly. structure? You have three-dimensional network of geopolymer, like uh, in any polymers. Uh, but uh, unlike polymers, uh, instead of uh, carbon inside, we have silicon and aluminum in this uh, three-dimensional network. And then it uh, attracts and traps inside the matrix. There are kind of spaces where uh, it traps the heavy metals or toxic metals and prevents it from leaking into the soil into the water and so on and the spaces are larger than an h2o molecule so it doesn't trap the water wow. well uh yeah and when you create a geopolymer structure when you create a geopolymer concrete we call it a mesoporous structure when you have pores on the surface but they are so small that the water molecule cannot penetrate inside so it's kind of waterproof okay but the water leaves the, it's waterproof and holds the water in the structure or? No, no, after it's absolutely, com completely hardened, it yeah. becomes waterproof. When it's okay. still fresh, of course, the water goes cool. out, yeah. I'm, chemistry is a very weak suit of mine, as you can tell, I'm sure, but <laughs> the materials, uh, would you say they've experimented with all the minerals, Davidovitz and his team? Or are they still exploring all kinds of different stuff all the time? Is it unexplored mostly? Uh, well, actually, there is a huge com community, scientific community, community worldwide who are studying geopolymers and their publication, not only by, by Davidovitz, but also by other institutions worldwide. And they all study different matters. They all study different approaches, applications, materials for geopolymers. And there is a lot of uh, that had, has been already studied, but I think that there's still much more, mm -hmm. much more to be investigated. That's good and to hear. Another point, yeah, and another point, you need to make it applicable and uh, scalable. Certainly. It's nice just knowing that there's still lots to explore is reassuring enough, uh, <laughs> especially considering there's so many different people experimenting with it. What developments might they find in the next five years or 10 years that you're looking forward to? Well, certain, uh, uh, let's say, uh, ameli ameliorations, <laughs> I have to say it in English. <laughs> okay, upgrades for geopolymers, like for example, making a one component geopolymers instead of two components that mm -hmm. you have now to avoid liquid reagent. Uh, it hasn't, there are several attempts and people are working on that. And we would like to get the result if it's possible, of course. and. Uh, then uh, certain uh, kind of additives which would uh, help us regulate the flow, the setting time, and so on, e easier, like in, uh, in Portland cement, for example, because Portland cement additives don't work in geopolymers because the chemistry to is totally different. So there is a huge set of chemicals that, or minerals that still need to be investigated so that can work in geopolymers. So the 2K mix that you are going to start using soon in your factory, uh, do you have any idea what kind of overhang you'll be able to achieve with that? What kind of what? What kind of overhang or cantilever or uh, what angle you'll be uh, able to achieve printing? We'll see. We'll see. We can uh, accelerate the setting very fast so it can set in seconds and uh, then 
We just need to experiment. The main problem that we have right now is the equipment that we need to develop to uh, feed this uh, mix. So we already have uh, com completed uh, successfully the tests in the lab, and uh, now we are developing these uh, equipment for the nozzle. For, to test it already industrially with yeah. the 3D printer. I hope in a couple of months we'll complete it and start printing. Yeah, in a lot of ways, all innovation is the same in that, like, if you're working on a car, maybe the engine, you made it so strong, it's like a thousand horsepower engine, and now the tires mm -hmm. won't spin, so you have to upgrade the tires, and then you have to upgrade the suspension, and then, so everything yeah. is like the machine, the material, the software, like, it's all being improved all the time. Uh, yeah, exactly. And you're the people working on uh, bringing that to market, so the, it's cool being able to hear kind of like the bleeding edge of innovation as you're figuring these things out. Uh, you have the house project. That's not in the States, is it? No. no. Do you have it's any? It's our own house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The uh, because international the guys were talking about a house with you guys. Yeah, they're trying to bring the house. We, we, we actually planned to start the last week, uh, last winter, this winter that has passed, but uh, then it was postponed. And uh, now with this situation, I don't know how we can uh, further cooperate. We'll see. You said you're printing your own house that you'll live in? Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. I don't think I've seen that done before. Yeah, well, we want to test all mistakes on our own skin. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually calculated the cost of the wood right now and the house and the wood cost us a fortune. And then uh, we decided to make a 3D printed house. Uh, it will cost like twice less. <laughs> Very cool. So did you make the 3D printed file yourselves? Yeah, sure. Well, with the help, uh, we, we made a uh, G-code with the help of our friend. And uh, he makes it using not standard methods, uh, they use uh, Fusion 360 uh, to generate G-code because mm -hmm. you need to adjust uh, the way the uh, nozzle will go and the thickness and so on. And then I have to, I had to study how to operate the robot and now we're just printing. Yeah, and of course we have our engineer and architect in one yeah. place who is uh, who made our project first in the wood and then he uh, agreed to participate in this idea of 3D printing and he made all the calculations, all the projects, all the drawings in uh, uh, 3D uh, Revit program. Yeah, yeah it's funny, I recognized Alex on your uh, on your website. I've, I guess I've interacted with him on LinkedIn or something in the comments sections, but uh, I had no yeah, idea sure. working at Renko. Yeah. yeah, we established 2016. And since then, even now, we cooperate. It's like an exchange of knowledge all the time, forth and back. And sometimes we send him materials from here. Sometimes he sends us some materials, so gives us hints what to use. Do you have kids? Yeah. Yeah. We so they'll live in the printed house with you? Of yeah, of course. Sure. Are they excited for that? Well, she's a teenager. How can you be excited when you're a teenager? Everything is yeah, bad. Your parents stuff isn't that cool your parents work is kind of boring yeah. at that but uh leave me alone <laughs> while you're printing it you should get lots of phone videos and i'll uh, i'll post it on social media and stuff and we can uh the print process is 
I think people's favorite part to see the progress from like an empty build site, the uh, layers go up and then all of a sudden you have a whole home. Uh, we have our own channel in Telegram and we have it in VK. And LinkedIn. And, and now, yeah, now we start posting on LinkedIn also. Cool. So you can follow up. And also Yandex then. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's not so easy to post in uh, Instagram right now or Facebook. But uh, that's why you should send the video to me and I'll tag you and I can post on okay. Facebook. <laughs> yeah, sure. So uh, when you were designing the house, what considerations did you make? Because you can print it in any shape, design, uh, whatever you want. Uh, how did you make it custom for yourselves? Uh, well, first we, we chose the design of the house uh, according to a Finnish pro uh, project. We took a, a project by uh, Finland from Finland because they are similar have a similar climate and they're the best in thermal insulation in making projects for this type of uh, type of northern climate. And we like the appearance. And first of all, we made the project in a framework, wooden framework with a lot of thermal insulation. And we got the calculations. It's extremely expensive if you want to make it really uh, in a good, uh, the right, well, way. The right yeah. way in good quality. And then we started uh, adopting and adjusting this project to 3D printing to make it the same project to compare the cost so that it's a real one-to-one -one compar comparison. That's amazing. With the same thermal insulation, with the same uh, configuration and with the same project and the same square meters but in two different types of uh, materials and two yeah. different types of building techniques. By the, by the end of this uh, construction, we will publish all the calculation, all the comparison uh, on our website. So everybody can just take a look and uh, compare themselves. The first one you already finished, right? Uh, no, we're still in the process. We're right now in the process. I mean, of the stick it. built version. Uh, no, we just made the calculations and decided that we don't want to make oh, it. Okay, okay. Way. You didn't actually build it. No, 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 no. Okay. We decided to switch to 3D printing. Yeah. And no, but, we have, but we have a price tag for that. <laughs> Construction estimates to... are so difficult to make. Uh, even your estimate was too expensive. It may have cost 20% more than that, even. Who knows? Mm. Yeah. Well, we decided to buy not the fish, but the fishing rod. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Robotic. Robotic fishing rod, yeah. <laughs> and now you're Instead having to that. modify your fishing rod, I imagine, a little bit, making some yeah, customizations. Yeah. <laughs> Made some customization right now. It will take a little longer because now we have to work with 3D printing and so on, not to just uh, order, uh, let's say, uh, a set of the house and uh, invite builders who will make it in a wooden framework, but it will be. Uh, 3D printed and it will be concrete, which uh, makes it a little bit more reliable and durable. Yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, things uh, are to this to be considered like a connection in between panels. So when you're in Africa or somewhere in the hot climate, uh, that might be not an issue. But uh, if you are in a cold climate when it gets minus 30 degrees Celsius in the winter, you will definitely don't want to have some fresh air in your oh. kitchen. So when the panels are connected, so you have to make it uh, completely sealed uh, and not only sealed, but uh, it shouldn't uh, allow the cold air and uh, the cold to go inside. Yeah, and you'll need also to consider your uh, 
the structure of your walls and your panels uh, so that you don't have these bridges of cold uh, because concrete uh, can transmit cold very well as well as heat so you need to avoid straight uh, concrete lines which will go all through your house you need to make them either longer so you need to make a special shape or you need to block uh, the passage with some thermal insulation the, all these solutions we now have to design from the beginning with our uh, architect and engineer so we work uh, also we try to consult civil engineers we have a lot of uh, family family members who are civil engineers so they help us a lot because they support us and help a lot to uh, solve some technical issues I'm sure that was very helpful. Sure. The it's always interesting uh, seeing who's the leadership of a company. A lot of times, a CEO might have no technical experience, but you're an engineer, right? Yeah, yeah I'm an engineer. That's great. I love to see engineers as CEO because they actually understand technology and like. Especially at a company that's focused all around technology, how can you make decisions for your company if you don't understand? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a cool thing to see. And another cool thing to see is that you might be the first uh, founders to live in your own printed home. So that's that'll be huge. I think I don't. I haven't talked to anybody that actually lives in a three D printed house yet. There are some Airbnbs. Uh, some people mm -hmm. were supposed to move into them, but I haven't seen uh, that they've actually, that anyone's actually moved into one yet. So we'll see if and when that happens, maybe it'll be the first. Yeah, we, 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 we will make some, I don't know, YouTube channel where we will post how we will leave it. <laughs> <laughs> and we also want to leave the walls uh, undecorated so that people see that it's really- At least some of the walls. Internal and external, so that people see that it's a 3D printed house. And inside the walls, uh, we want to implement uh, the best uh, of geopolymer technology, not only the structural material, but also insulation, uh, which using geopolymer binder and uh, the some some plasters uh, made of geopolymer, which uh, uh, reflects the sunlight during the summer, for instance, and uh, reduce the in inside temperature of the house. Uh, uh, so that you can save costs on air conditioning and a lot of uh, technologies, a lot of uh, features that can be implemented here. And we are just uh, discussing with Alex, uh, which are the best uh, to implement in our house. So, yeah, in our house, like it's a test ground and we want to try everything on our own uh, example and mm -hmm. to understand what we are actually proposing to people, what we're actually selling to test it first, understand how it works, if it works well or not. And then you can, you can really prove to the people that it's working and how it's working. They can come and touch and see and uh, see that you're still alive. There is no danger. Hazardous <laughs> products. Oh, you use byproducts, you use waste. Oh my God, it's so hazardous. No, it's completely. We made all the tests, yeah. of course, where we, we don't want to risk our lives. So we are testing, we're making careful steps, really, I consider what we're doing. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear people think something, uh, this material is good, this material is bad, but then in the long run at the total lifetime of the object, maybe it's not what people expected. So that's not something I try to uh, pay too much attention to because I don't understand it so well. But the uh, 
I think living in your printed house and printing it, knowing that you're going to live there will give you kind of an extra motivation on the long days where it's like not just a project you're going to leave and finish you're going to raise your family there and so you'll put the extra effort in uh that you need to be on the cutting edge and doing something brand new i mean especially since you know you're going to be experimenting with stuff uh what are some of the experiments like you mentioned this plastering uh what else uh well internal uh paint uh, that ac- accumulates heat so that you uh, don't need to spend so much uh, mm. on your heating system like a battery in winter. yeah and also we want to use thermal insulation inside the walls which is actually a uh, waste of polystyrene bubbles uh, but when you cover them with a uh, japan binder they become absolutely fireproof and they become mineralized so the rats and mice and other uh, rodents <laughs> won't eat them the flame mm. cannot uh, touch them so they won't uh, uh, they want to need fumes or burn or whatever and uh, polystyrene is one of the best thermal insulators in the world still what's the thing that Ranka needs the most to grow the fastest well we need uh, i think the help of uh, programmers right now to work with the uh, g code and we also need some help qualified labors yeah it's uh, in 3D printing industry, I think this is the most biggest issue that we have. We, we don't have any uh, personnel that are qualified enough to work uh, with 3D printing technology and with geopolymer either. So you have to rise up your uh, people. That's why we work also with the Polytechnical University. We work with the students. Uh, so we try to raise them up. And when they finish the university, we will try to hire some of the best of them. Yeah, I think ultimately part of the dream is making it really easy to use your technology so that people can not require much education or skills. And then you build, you increase the labor force, uh, not through training, but through making the process simpler. But the people to make the process simpler, that's a lot of hard effort. And yeah, so those people that, are hard to find. Where do, yeah, where do you find those people? Are academic settings, uh, outside of academic settings, the people really willing to like do the grind and the sweat, the blood, the tears? <laughs> well, actually, it's just a coincidence when you meet people on your way. We are in construction since 2008. So there are a lot of people who are in construction that we know. And many of them are really fascinated by 3D printed technology and they offer their help by themselves. I, uh, for example, our friend, he has a construction company and he offered his help with his yeah. engineers. And he was my classmate. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some so of those people are got... listening now and they'll reach out and help. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, prob- probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We are open to any uh, help and uh, cooperation and that's here. If you're interested in geopolymers, so you are welcome. You can write us email and we will definitely answer you. Just, you may ask, what is geopolymer and we can help. What email should they reach out to? Uh, On your website? Info at renka.org. Cool, and the website will be in the link in the description as well. Okay. So the team right now is you two and Alex? Yes, as the founders. The founders, and we have also couple of people here and help factory. operate yeah we have qualified uh, technicians for 
working in cement in industry in cement lab and concrete mm -hmm. lab for since 2011. Yeah. And we have uh, qualified labor here as well, and unqualified labor as well. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not seeking investment at the moment, or you are? But actually, we're seeking four grants uh, to develop this system for two-component uh, printing. Cool. And I would say we are more seeking for customers and uh, partners. What are some objects you're excited to print with the 2K capability? Well, uh, columns. I think columns uh, with this uh, pilastra, kind of. You need to, you mean the, the top of the column? Yeah. I don't know the name in English, sorry. <laughs> like an iconic column or the fancy designs with the. Uh, it can be fancy or just functional. Yeah. I mean, we, we already have a kind of a request from a bridge construction company who are making a bridge. Uh, bridges for the roads and they have a big headache with making this top of the columns because they have to use a very complicated framework for that which is very expensive and requires a lot of time and labor and they would like to avoid it thanks to 3d printing technology so this is one of the functional applications for infrastructural projects others can be decorative like make can make any kind of decorations uh, with 3d printing technology at no cost almost compared to frameworks again and handcraft. And uh, also we were uh, cooperating with an architect who wanted to make a sculpture in, back in 2018. Mm -hmm. And at that time we couldn't achieve this goal because we didn't have this two component mixing system. Now we would like to continue working with architects for some really nice and good looking projects. Awesome. And back to your house for a minute, that'll be printed offsite as well? Yeah. What size will each panel be or section? Actually, there are different sizes, but we calculated uh, and uh, cut the house the way that we can use our uh, hardware that we have here in the warehouse, like forklift. And then we can use the transportation system, which I use for normal, ordinary prefab panels. Uh, so it shouldn't exceed uh, four meters in any dimension. Four meters is big. Yeah. yeah, it is big. So from your factory, it'll be lifted onto a flatbed and then lifted into place on site. Uh, right. Is that a, with concrete, a lot of times in transportation, it's challenging logistically. It's rattling around. There might be cracking and stuff. Uh, have you transported many large geopolymer objects yet? No, not yet. But uh, the, uh, the system of transportation of big prefab panels is already uh, well established and mm -hmm. we have good uh, transport trucks for um, transporting panels for one con big construction company here in uh, Moscow and it uh, transport panels with windows already installed so that the glass shouldn't be broken. And I think the glass is much more fragile than geopolymer. Yeah. So if they manage to transport this kind of uh, panels, they can transport geopolymer panels as well. Does geopolymer have better tensile strength than modulus elasticity? 
Well, actually, this all depends on the mix design. You can make your super, super high performance concrete balls with geopolymer and Portland cement. It only takes much more additives and chemicals and Portland and, cost. and costs than in geopolymer. It all depends on the design of the mix and what and you want. Filler. Yeah, it's just what you want to achieve. We don't need a, a bomb shelter here. So we won't need only strength for small house. So we don't go above 40 MPA of strength. Even that is too much. We wouldn't, we don't need more than 25 MPA actually for such kind of uh, construction. Mm -hmm. Would you ever, would a material and system that could print outside better be appealing to you? Uh, sorry, you, can you repeat again? Uh, so as we talk about different upgrades for the material, the systems, would it be preferable to have a system that can print outside nicely? You mentioned you tried that before. Would you prefer an outdoor system if it works really well? Well, the, the next step, I think we will uh, try to make some continuous tracks for the uh, robotic arm to be able to print outside. Uh, mm, large volume. Yeah. The big challenge is the weather and the all the stuff you were talking about earlier with the outside, but maybe... Yeah, but I think with this uh, implementation of this uh, nozzle and the fast setting geopolymer, we can solve it. When you inject uh, the, uh, the accelerator at the end of your nozzle, nozzle and uh, you will get uh, the setting, the desired setting, and uh, the rest of the mix can be uh made in advance which is not affected by the temperature and, uh, whether it's hot or cold when you used the 1k mix did you have some kind of agitator at the nozzle head or uh no no, no. we just go straight from the pump and is it the same with the 2k or now you need to have it evenly yeah. mixed in yeah so it still just straight flows through the pump uh, and the accelerant is included. There's no hopper. No, accelerant, accelerant added uh, at the end will be added at the end. So we'll we will see how it will be realized. So mm -hmm. still in development. We don't have a we, we don't have a fi finished solution right now. I think uh, in a couple of months we will have it for sure. It would be less fun if it was finished now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I trust in him. He's a mechanical engineer. <laughs> Is that yeah, the? Funny. Do you guys yeah. have like clear role separations for responsibility? Uh, yeah, for the company? Uh, I do all the dirty job, <laughs> <laughs> and I do most of the talking. <laughs> no, she's a database for the technology. She knows about geopolymers a lot. So I have a, I have a, my degree in economy. So. I do all she the finances yeah. and uh, communications, and but also I love chemistry. That's why I went deep into the geopolymer chemistry. It's like a hobby. Is it common in Russia for husband-wife teams to start businesses together? No, it's, it's like <laughs> every, everywhere in the world. So for, it, it's more like I would say, uh, it, no, it's not a common thing anyway. Anyway, and it's not an easy task. Also, you need really to be on one wave and know how to manage but there are a lot of benefits when you work together on one goal and you're really involved in it and you don't need to uh let's say bother that your wife is 
waiting for you at home at six o'clock in the evening and you have to finish fast when you both working on one goal you understand each other you support each other that's very nice the only downside i guess is there's no escape from work so you go home and you're just trying to like relax watch tv it's like oh maybe we should add this material well, yeah that's... actually we are workaholics so we don't like to relax <laughs> so much <laughs> so it's i only ask because the apis core team is also husband wife team founders yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> just a coincidence not just every businesses in russia husband and wife <laughs> yeah it's not super it's common but i think rare. having separated responsibilities makes it better if you one person does engineering the other person is doing finance and communication stuff uh i think yeah, it's like a nice puzzle you it's like a you supplement each other yeah very nice is there anything that we left unsaid let me think about it. We said so much today. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have Alex with us today. So he's uh, on another meeting. Yeah, but he's really a da database. So he has another role. He uh, helps us a lot with the chemistry and mineralogy. Yeah, and... he's a mineralogist. And he knows everything about minerals. And, uh, he, really he, he saves a lot of time for our work. So when we have new materials and we or when we have some issues, we just uh, make kind of uh, conference, video conference and just chat in, in chat and uh, in writing. And he gives us advice immediately and it, it saves us months of work of tests. I think I'll have to read uh, Professor Davidovitz's book and then maybe we'll do a uh, Renko round two podcast episode with Alex and I can uh, learn a little bit more about but i think i need yeah, to uh, read the book first so i can understand for sure be prepared yeah. <laughs> it's very very technical and very very specific so we read it once we didn't understand more than five percent i think we yeah. read it twice and now we just re return to it to certain chapters when we need to understand some parts of polymers how it works and still well, every time yeah, read you won't have you to understand it well enough to do it i only have to understand it well enough to talk about it on youtube so it's a lot easier <laughs> <laughs> then be careful because a lot of uh, uh, in, in in academic uh, a lot of stuff when they claim that they make geopolymers but uh, in fact they make alkali activated material uh, when you see the when you read the words like uh, activator we get uh, uh, strong alkalis like hydroxides and so on so you will definitely have uh, the wrong direction and geopolymers are work with uh, user friendly solutions so you can pour your hand in the reagent and nothing will happen and uh, geopolymer is completely different from alkali activated materials because in geopolymers instead of alkalis you can use acid as a reagent and you cannot make alkali activated slag with acid so it's absolutely different technology and there are a lot of misunderstanding people think well they have fly ash slag in their mix and, and they alkalis. use an alkali this is the same it's not the same it's completely different you chemistry can, is different yeah you can go to the uh youtube of geopolymer institute or on the website and there is a uh short video why alkali activated materials are not geopolymers they so if you uh, put concrete in water 
the the pH what? of the water goes up if you put concrete in water. From what I've heard, if you have, if you have a completely set gel polymer with a good balance between all the ingredients, you get a complete system and nothing leaks out. No efflorescence, no white uh, things on the top. No, no, no salts going out. No yeah. alkalis going out. It only happens if you uh, overdose your reagent. So it won't, will it affect the pH of water? If you put it into water with a pH of seven, will it change the pH? No, if it's a genuine, complete gel polymer, it will not. Whereas Only concrete would probably change the pH. Yeah, yeah because of leaking, leaching of this. Actually, there was at one gel polymer camp, there was a big study by one of the marine ecologists who have uh, made two different gel polymers. They had two different goals. One goals, uh, goal of the goals was to uh, provide a structure which will increase the growth of marine uh, uh, living mm -hmm. species like uh, different algae Worlds. and uh, different small plankton. And the other goal was uh, a completely opposite, create a stone, a geopolymer, which will prevent this from growing. And both is possible with geopolymer. It only depends on the chemistry and your goal. So you can create either a fish and uh, algae friendly system or absolutely hostile friendly system for them so it will prevent the growth of this uh, stuff like for the artificial reefs uh, when i see the project made by 3d printing companies there are several of them mm -hmm. and they make uh, these artificial reefs out of portland cement based system which is not durable in salty water and uh, not so friendly for these species. Uh, and I see that geopolymer could be the best uh, material for implementation of such projects. Makes sense if you want to be able to control the pH uh, in the system. Yeah, and also geopolymers are in net, absolutely uh, stable in either alkalis or acids or salty water. So they're not- We attacked. actually can use uh, tea water in uh, our reagent preparation instead of normal water. Which is very uh, actual for countries like Dubai and uh, other countries with mm -hmm. where there is lack not of enough, water. Yeah. yeah, not enough fresh water. Does it require the salt content or you're just able to use the either? We're just able to use it will not. Very nice. Uh, yeah, so you cannot use fact. it in Portland cement at all. Because chlorides uh, really destroy Portland cement concrete, while fluorides and geopolymer, they're just trapped and they don't disturb it. Does the silica come from sand? No. no. Sand is in... Crystalline silica. Crystalline silica, it's inert, it's like a filler. So mm -hmm. silica has to be amorphous. So that's more difficult to get than sand, but sand is kind of uh, difficult to acquire these days as well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, one more point in geopolymers, you can use different uh, worse uh, quality sands, which cannot be used in ordinary construction. Like with a lot Portland. of clay. With side. a lot of clay or some mine tailings from... Uh, Industry, from, metallurgy. From metallurgy, from copper mining, from steel mining, which cannot be used in Portland cement so, so, so much because of the containment of different clays, of different impurities. Can you in use Portland, the... They, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, they just uh, increase strength of our uh, geopolymer concrete instead of reducing it. Can you use the smooth sand from the Middle East, like Dubai? The... There is a technique that can use this fine grade sand uh, for geopolymer concrete, and we have already tested, but not, I would say, implemented industrially yet because there was no demand for that. 
Yeah, it's interesting. The somebody was talking about, of course you can. They built the earthquakes with that sand, but or, sorry, not the earthquakes, the the pyramids. But mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't the same sand back then. Like yeah. that area was covered by an ocean. That sand got smooth over time. So it's not the sand that they built with. It's the sand of today. But uh, I guess now that we're towards the end of the podcast and very few people are listening, can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit more about the pyramid uh, and how <laughs> Davidovitz talks about the pyramid and what the evidence is, I guess? Uh, actually, he has done some uh, even full-scale test. He has done an artificial pyramid with the same instruments and with the same uh, materials that could be found in wow. ancient Egypt that he studied. And he replicated a small pyramid in France. And he, actually, his proofs in his book, uh, he made a book, Why Pharaohs Have Built the Pyramids with Fake Stones. Uh, described very well in pictures and graphics and formulas why these pyramids probably were not uh, made with real stones but were casted on site. Like, for example, there are some very fine cuts which cannot be done without uh, iron instruments so smoothly. And why would you cut a stone so long and then leave a small uh, turning point, a really small one, in the end? It, it makes sense in cutting, but it makes no sense in cutting with the uh, copper tools or stone tools. With, and then there are traces of some ropes just embedded inside the stone. So it, it couldn't be made just because they were pulling this with this rope. It's a real trace that it was cast inside. And in, for example, in South American monuments, you can see small bubbles on the surface of the stone and you have the same bubbles when you cast your concrete in the mold and then you demold it. On the surface, you have the small pores left. It looks very much similar. And then he also studied some, uh, let's say, objects, small objects like and, uh, st statuettes, small statuettes made out of uh, granite-like rocks in Egypt with very fine, very small holes inside, which uh, couldn't be done without the tools. It can be done now with uh, the tools that we have, but not back then. And then he replicated these stones in France with using limestone, using uh, sand from Egypt, and uh, using limes. Actually, in Egypt, they found uh, the, the furnaces, they found the kilns where they prepared lime. Uh, they, they said that they used them for smaller structures, not for pyramids. And then they found uh, this lake natron with a lot of alkalis uh, in the natural state. So they could use this lake natron. And then there were a lot of uh, volcanic ashes at the bottom. What so a fascinating puzzle. Yeah, and he published uh, some articles on the South American monuments recently with his son, Ralph, who went to South America to study their rocks. And he proved that uh, there are no source of uh, rock nearby that could be brought to this uh, place, but there is a source of clayish materials of weathered rock, which could be uh, milled and then casted to form this kind of natural looking rock. I believe they just found a huge city under the rainforest in South America, probably made out of similar material. It's very interesting. They're like the oldest structures, all the oldest structures in the world. But what about the Great yeah. Wall? That's not geopolymer? Uh, actually, they used the geopolymer technique in the Great Wall, uh, wall to 
cover uh, the stones uh, to prevent them. The stones from, and bones. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, they actually have burned a lot of rice husk and rice husk contains a lot of silica inside. And then they covered the wall with this, uh, uh, the, with the solution of this silica and then they burned it again and it created like a glaze on the surface of the wall. It's a proven technique actually. And this uh, makes the, this wall last so long because it, it creates kind of thin layer. thin layer that protects the whole structure from weathering. Okay, what about Stonehenge? That's not geopolymer, is it? <laughs> no, I, I believe these are real rocks. That was not, real not rock. all rocks are geopolymer. Not, not fake rocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like every big object from thousands of years ago, like almost all of them are geopolymers. Uh, no, 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 not necessarily. Only if you don't have the source of uh, big stones nearby. If you don't, if you cannot find a quarry where you could find these monoliths, then probably you should look into geopolymers. But if you see the quarry with the traces of monoliths that were taken out, that probably you have uh, hundreds of slaves which can treat this quarry and make a stone shiny, then you'd better use this. <laughs> and the aqueducts in Rome? Well, it's yeah, in Rome they used uh, stones, but uh, they, as a mortar they used uh, the Roman cement, kind of geopolymer, because Portland cement wasn't uh, known that days, so they used only Roman cement with uh, volcanic ash and uh, lime, lime. Does all geopolymer use silica? Uh, actually, we need mm -hmm. a balance between silica and alumina uh, yeah. to create geopolymers. So but it's impossible to have no silica in geopolymer? Uh, it is possible for phosphate-based geopolymers. Wow. And maybe other stuff too, or that's the only uh, solution? Is uh, that known? Maybe, but maybe it is not known yet. Once you can create a three-dimensional mineral uh, chain without organic polymers, and it's a really 3D network, a big molecule, macromolecule, then you can claim that it's a geopolymer. Does protein folding have any place in this space? Is there, does that help at all? Does that do anything? Protein? Yeah, like uh, they're developing a lot of artificial intelligence for protein folding, proteins like nanoproteins. Um, mm -hmm. And I imagine it would have some kind of material property impact, potentially, I don't know. Well, we're not familiar with that. We're not Probably in, protein in, into organic chemistry, let's yeah. say. Yeah, just like thinking of things that are unexplored, like maybe all the, I think the way people build in the future, and I think you will agree, is going to be very different than the way people are building now. Uh, uh, let's say not. construction construction <laughs> industry is one of the most conservative and yeah. it's very hard and to bring changes. 3D printing is so big disturbance in this construction industry. They still trying to get rid of this <laughs> way of uh, construction. Everything but... you is uh, very um, irritating for the construction guys. Yeah. Really, they uh, hold responsibility for the lives of the people. If something collapses, who will be responsible? So that's why it uh, has sense. It, it makes sense to test and test and test again all your structures, all your materials before you uh, use them on the massive scale. Rightfully so. Yeah, but uh, what we no uh, have now, the present techniques and technologies of building, they're not very 
sustainable and they're very expensive and they take a lot of time and still they're not safe. If the fire occurs, we have so many problems with thermal insulation, with steel structures which collapse. So there is a lot, a lot to be done yet to make construction safer and better. There will be changes, significant changes in the way they they build the houses. But it takes a lot of time for the change to be accepted in this uh, industry. If I was an like, insurance company, I would love a 3D printed house because you just put a camera on the machine and you see the whole process. You make sure everybody followed every step. You, It's not like having an inspector that only shows up to the site once a month or once a week, however often. They can see everything that happened and they can qualify that it was built to spec uh, it seems obvious, but it's not working uh, for them yet. Well, now there are techniques and the companies who make monitoring of the construction objects. So they put cameras and they can even find uh, those construction workers who do not wear helmets. Yeah. So they can recognize the people, identify them. Most construction sites don't allow any cameras because they're afraid OSHA will see what's going on. They, they say no oh. pictures. Uh, we mm -hmm. don't want to get in trouble for safety, whatever. Yeah. I mean, any construction site is going to have at least one safety issue. You have so many people, not everybody knows all the rules. Maybe one person not paying attention. There's always something uh, that's not perfect. And well, so if you have a camera, you find 3D it. Even in the 3D printing industry, we are so close to those robotic arms. So uh, people from ADB are not very happy about that. <laughs> so we need to really... Go to uh, more and more automa automatization of uh, this process so that uh, people don't have to stay in the danger zone. Yeah. Or ABB could make the robots not touch people. <laughs> but they, they are quite weak for that. They have a collaborative robots which you can stay shoulder by shoulder. But you need a bigger payload. Yeah. Yeah. But I. I imagine that's something that would be very feasible with time, like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, they'll have a yeah. high payload machine that won't hurt a person at high speeds. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's with vision or LIDAR or some solution. But mm -hmm. since your company knows how to operate that equipment and run the material through, whatever innovations people come up with for the robotic arms, you'll be poised to implement uh, faster than any yeah, other company. Yeah. There is a safety feature that uh, can be implemented. So if person enters the danger zone of uh, the robot, uh, the robot slows down, so it will not harm uh, a human. Yeah, and with time, of course, it will become more and more automatic and uh, people will stay out of the danger zone. They will be yeah. uh, at the control point, not at, at the printing point. Maybe one day the people can stay at home and just press the buttons from their computer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, so. That's where we aim. Yeah. Yeah. Very difficult uh, challenge, but not unlikely. I mean, technology moves so fast and in so many different places, construction has been like waiting for so long. It's like, eventually it has to happen uh, in a big way and it's happening. It's happening. It is. Even when we started with Apiscore in 2016, for us, it was like, Really, uh, in the beginning, we didn't believe that this technology will take place, but 
after we saw Nikita's 3D printer, after we saw that it really the works. Proof of technology, yeah. Yeah, we were amazed and we understood that it will be the future of construction, but it will take a lot of time. But even since 2016 till now, there are so many companies, 3D printing companies that have been emerged and uh, there are so many material, materials that have been developed and uh, used in 3D printing. And it developed so quickly that I really believe that in five to 10 years, it will really have a massive scale. Yeah, very exciting. All right, well, is there anything else we should cover? Well, actually there are a lot of, uh, let's say technical solutions sure. that still need to be found if we want, if we are talking about construction of the houses in 3D printing and a lot of, uh, standards that need to be written in all languages in all countries that will allow this technology to be used on a massive scale and materials uh, which will be approved for this technology. So there is a lot of work that needs to be done both by academics and industries and the whole bunch of industries that will emerge around 3D printing, those who supply materials, those who supply spare parts and stuff Machines. like that. Yeah, right now, for example, we have to 3D print with plastic parts of our uh, 3D printer. Mm -hmm. So it's 3D printed, 3D printer as well. <laughs> and I think in the future, it will be more and more automatized and uh, produced on a massive scale, become cheaper and cheaper in, in application. Yeah, that's a good vision. Uh, the call to action, how do you make those regulations without making them restrictive? Because as we talked about, it needs innovation, improvements, changes. How do you make sure that the, the rules don't prevent innovation? They should be performance-based, not, uh, let's say, based on uh, restricting you to certain technologies or materials used. Method-based. Yeah, you should prove the performance of your structure or your material or, what, or your object or whatever it is. If you perform, if you uh, prove that you perform in the right way, then you're within the standard, like in Australia. I think that's the best way to uh, allow innovation. That makes a lot of sense to me. Are you gonna run for president? <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. Not, not, not yet. <laughs> I, I, I prefer business. <laughs> no, uh, of the concrete association to make the rules. That sounds like good rules. The uh... <laughs> The, the the construction industry needs something like you said, like to open up the innovation ability rather than saying you have to do it this way, that way. Um, that's like my fear is that they, they regulate the 3D printed construction industry and then it's cemented in its current state and it's harder to innovate uh, further than that. Like a big company with billions and billions of dollars pays to have kind of unfair regulation so that only they can be competitive or something. I don't know how mm -hmm. or what would happen, but uh, hopefully it's something innovative so that everybody can keep making new stuff all the time. Well, then we need to have a lot of players and a lot of uh, different uh, companies on the market. There are. And yeah, and the bigger, the more there are, uh, the, the more there is variety in the standards that can be accepted. I mean, there will be more influence from different sides, not just from one side. And then you have to attract universities and institutions and academics who are working not for uh, money, I would say, but for their scientific works and 
they will also influence the standards. Definitely. And they're doing most of the testing in terms of you're talking about the strength and stuff like that. Um, not a lot of private companies have the ability to build a whole house just to knock it down and see how strong it was. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And most of the companies don't have so much time to make all these tests. Most of the tests and construction are very, very long term. Like several years long. So have you structured your company to give yourselves the time for the R&D process? Is that like part of the plan very much? Actually, we have done already a lot of R&D since 2015 that we have been formed. And even before we have our lab since 2008, uh, our concrete and cement lab. So we work a lot in the sphere of R&D as well. So we have been prepared to 3D printing before we started. So after you finish your, your house started and maybe that'll be done in like uh, six months or so? We will see, we are, we are not in a hurry right now. So we try to really work on each detail, on each uh, small part, like how will you realize the window? How are you going to realize the door? Yeah. How are you going to put inside your uh, pipes and so on? Now we uh, have uh, figured out several configurations of the panels, which ha we have already printed. Uh, then to print the next panel, we have to uh, solve another issue. How will be the angle, uh, how will be the corner of the house looking like? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be rounded or square or other, shape. other yeah. shape? Yeah, whatever. So there are, each time you go further, you make one more step. There are a lot of uh, different solutions that need to be taken. So it takes a little time, but. It's a very interesting work to do. Of course, yeah. And then we can multiply to other houses already with a ready book of solutions, of technical solutions. That's yeah. what we are aiming to, to have this kind of book where you have all your parts of your house written down, how to uh, achieve them in 3D printing. We made the same before several years ago for another technology of uh, blocks, of uh, wood concrete blocks. So we want to make the same album for 3D printing for a small house. Then we Ooh. can multiply for a multi-story house. You built the wood concrete house. When you say wood concrete, like using that separately or a unique type of concrete? Uh, it's actually a technology of making uh, blocks out of uh, pressed wood uh, covered with a thin layer of cement. Nice. And then it has holes inside and you can pour ordinary concrete inside which will hold the load. And how and is instead, that? In, instead of wood, you can use a hemp which cool. is really durable, strong. Did you like building that house? It seems like you pursued a different direction. Uh, it was a long ago uh, project and we built a factory producing these blocks and uh, we have built multiple houses, not just one house. Wow. So that All was a previous company blocks. of yours? Yeah. 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 And you still operate that company? No, we worked for that company until 2014. Cool. Let's say as an R&D subdivision of this company. And in 2014, after that, you went in 2015 to learn with Davidovitz about geopolymers. And now you, that's a fascinating development. You stayed in kind of innovative construction uh, yeah. and branched out. Very cool. Before that, what did you do? Well, uh, since 2008, we've been working uh, with that company. Before we've, we started in 
at the university. <laughs> yeah, then before we were finishing our university. And so you went to the same university together as well? Yeah, yeah, the same university, but different faculties. Wow, you've known each other a long time. Yeah. Uh, we actually didn't meet each other in the university. <laughs> at all. <laughs> wow. And then you worked together and then you started a company together. Yeah. And her father was uh, studying uh, alkali-activated materials since uh, 1980s. 80s. He yeah. made his PhD in 1985 uh, on alkali-activated materials. And wow. actually, we used to work with him uh, for R&D and started with alkali-activated materials. And then we learned about geopolymers. And the first idea of all these alkali-activated materials and geopolymers was, uh, came from the city we are uh, we used to live in it's a very industrial city with a, with a lot of steel industry so a lot of wastes a lot of industrial waste dust emissions and so on and the idea was to use them in construction as much as possible to reduce the harm that they are making to the ecology so mm -hmm. we're all about eco-friendliness and sustainability and i i really motiv i'm really motivated when i know that uh, each ton of materials that we use in our geopolymers is a uh, one ton less in our in the air in my city very nice all right well is there anything else we can cover i i like to make <laughs> sure it's hard to schedule russia america time zones and everything uh if there's I know. Have we talked about sustainability? Say. Actually, yeah. Have we yes, talked please. about sustainability? Well, yeah. <laughs> the whole idea of geopolymers came from sustainability for us, at least. Uh, it's about uh, the use of uh, wastes, uh, about the use of industrial waste and construction, slags, um, microsilicas, fly ashes, and so on. Everything that's going now dumped to the ground and pollutes water, yeah. water, soils, and so on. And there are a lot of use cases uh, for, for this kind of materials. Uh, and when we learned about geopolymers and we started uh, using them, we realized that uh, compared to Portland cement, for example, when you uh, bake Portland, when you uh, use your kiln with 1,500 uh, 1, degrees C, uh, you emit about one ton of CO2 for one ton of Portland cement produced. So it's a huge amount, mm -hmm. uh, about 500 kilos is for a gas that you burn and another 500 kilos is for decarbonization process so co2 goes out of the stones out of the minerals when you uh, actually uh, calcine it mm -hmm. and uh, in geopolymers we take what has already been calcined by other industries like uh, metallurgy like power plants so we don't need to burn anything we don't burn gas and the only co2 that is emitted is for transportation of these materials and uh, we, we have uh, made a calculation. So it's about 90 to 100 uh, kilos of CO2 emitted for one ton of geopolymer cement compared to Portland. So it's 10 times less. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to invest like 200 billions in a cement plant. You need a quarry for a cement plant. Here, you don't need any of those. You need a small facility and you can produce a geopolymer anywhere. Very nice. Yeah, I think I need some water because we've been talking so much. Yeah, I bring it <laughs> Sorry. No worries. Very cool. I appreciate the, your enthusiasm for the the whole thing and especially sustainability and uh, like growing up in a city with those 
things you can put into the concrete and prevent from entering the atmosphere. I mean, even like you were talking about earlier, it's as adaptable as to trap radioactive waste too. Uh, yeah, and toxic waste as well. The city wasn't Chernobyl, was it? No, it's Chelyabinsk, <laughs> not Chernobyl. Chernobyl uh, is a closed city, nobody yeah. can live there. Is it close by? No, no, it's uh, like 3,000 kilometers from there. Mm -hmm. So so you don't it, have... It's in Europe. Thank you. You don't have radioactive wastes nearby to test the... Mm -hmm. We do. We actually do. have... Yeah, we have a big uh, facility not far from our city, which is very secret and stuff like that. Not that secret. They have an excursion for America. Yeah, so it's, it's, not not it's not secret for the U.S. citizens. It is secret for oh, our oh. citizens. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, don't tell anybody about the secret facility. No, no. No, no, it's, a, it's an open <laughs> information. They actually recycle radioactive waste from the nuclear power plants from the whole world, from Europe mainly, and they make it uh, fuel again. It's so, so it's fascinating a, how many things can be powered with nuclear and like a whole submarine can be powered forever with nuclear. Uh, it seems like really exciting. One of those things that's like kind of unexplored. Uh, yeah. Like, what if a car had a nuclear battery? Would you just have to never charge it and just not crash? And the point is safety. That's uh, the issue that they have to, uh, to make a solution. Uh, I don't know if I would like my house to be powered by nuclear under my house, you know? You never know when it will explode. What if it's in a well? What if it's a thousand feet under your house? then how feasible it is to deliver this energy from for, for such a distance you will lose a lot of capacity during transportation mm -hmm. if they find a solution for the transportation of power without losing part of its capacity then probably it makes sense yeah if geopolymer can store nuclear waste maybe the future can use more nuclear power who knows uh, mainly like a sealant, I think, like a coverage for, for, for the battery. The hard part is making something sealing that will last 10,000 years. Then uh, geopolymer actually, fits that. Yeah, actually geopolymer can do that because Portland doesn't withstand even, it goes on the bottom line of the standard for this encapsulation of the, for the concrete that uh, blocks this waste. Well, I'm kind of hoping you enable a uh, nuclear energy future with, <laughs> with geopolymers and uh, new I, construction I, I future. Yeah, I only hope we'll make it a little bit safer than it is now. <laughs> mm. Maximum safety. Uh, yeah. Maximum power for the people on, on Earth. <laughs> Sounds like a slogan for yes. the presidential campaign. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you I'm guys are going to be the first the first yeah. podcast in the new studio. Wow, awesome. Oh, really, you have a new studio right now. Yeah, Where are you, by the way? I just set up in Houston, Texas. Wow. It's good it central location, so I can hot. bounce around. I, I believe you... it must be very hot right now. In oh Texas. yeah, it's very hot. But I was just in California uh, the last week, visiting a couple mm. companies over there. I'm only here maybe like 30% of the time because I'm visiting so many companies all the time. Uh, will you guys ever come to America? Yeah, we've we been there last year for uh -huh. a month. We travel uh, around 
you went to Vegas? Coast. West Coast. Yeah. West Coast. We went to Vegas. Yeah, we spent three weeks with William, with Jeppelmer International, to help him. First of all, we participated in, in the world of concrete in summer, in June. And then we helped him with his 3D printer. We helped him with Jeppelmer to be 3D, 3D printable. And then we made a little trip uh, along the West Coast from San Diego to Seattle. Very that nice. was really beautiful. Yeah, the PCH, that highway is beautiful, uh, beautiful drive. Yeah. National parks, oh, amazing. Yeah. And how True. you treat the nature is amazing. When you have gears walking all around and they feel safe. Seals. Seals, yeah. In San Diego. Sea lions, sea lions going out. Yeah. yeah. And nobody is allowed to touch them. Even the dogs are not barking, you know? <laughs> Oh, they'd uh, the the seals would win that fight against the dogs. I think I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the dogs are wise enough. <laughs> yeah, when uh, if Geopolymer International prints a house, I imagine you'll visit it. Sure, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. You should let me know, and we'll do a YouTube video or something. We'll we'll tour through it, and uh, yeah, it'd be cool in person. Okay. Next time you guys are in the states or Vegas, Vegas is only uh pretty short away from Houston. So I would, I would mm -hmm. gladly step by and always keep me updated. If you guys have projects, I'm always happy to share uh, the different projects going on all around the world on my social medias and stuff. So if we stay in touch and I'm always like tagging the companies and trying to make sure it's as useful to you as possible, like the link in the description for your website. Uh, yeah. Hopefully you can grow and uh, keep seeing more innovation in the future. I think we'll keep posting on LinkedIn and on, on our website all the progress that we have with our house and other projects. Yep. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you thank for you joining so me today. Actually, we have been watching your podcasts and uh, we've seen your uh, podcast about AMT. It was so funny. Uh, yeah, these guys are really not very good in marketing, but you made them famous all over the world <laughs> really the amt team uh <laughs> the which podcast episode is that uh the how cat house cat house oh yeah. yeah yeah that was i think that was just a youtube video not a podcast maybe, maybe yeah yeah maybe youtube video yeah, yeah. correct I, sh I would like to do a longer form podcast with them uh the People's attention spans are so short these days. The podcasts don't get a lot of views, but like you mentioned, maybe you listen to the, some podcast or video or something. Uh, the people who have a longer attention span than a TikTok can actually like learn a little bit about geopolymers mm -hmm. or your company rather than just seeing like, wow, it's printing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll stay in touch and we'll do this again, hopefully with, uh, with Alex at some point and uh, again, with you as you continue innovating the future of construction. Thank you. All right. Have sure. a good one later on.